ourselves, that we can understand on our own ability, that we can cause ourselves to walk in the ways of the Lord, or that we can incline our own hearts to the Lord, or in our own strength turn our eyes away from that which is vain. And turn away the reproach which we dread. But it is in the Lord. It's when we cry out to the Lord as the psalmist did in these verses 33 through 40. It's when we rely on Him and His salvation work that we're able to do any of these things. That we're even able to walk with the Lord. This would be very much so something that Nietzsche would not have liked. Those of you who know who Nietzsche was, he, he believed that the problem with Christianity was that Christianity had pity and grace and mercy. He thought that was the problem. And he had this great story that I only heard yesterday to explain how God died. Because I don't know if you remember, Nietzsche is famous for saying God is dead. Nietzsche said there there was a pantheon of gods. And then one day the Jewish God decided to tell everyone that he was better than everyone else. That he was the only way to heaven. And Nietzsche said, well, they all laughed so hard that they all died laughing at the God that we would call Yahweh or the God of Christianity. But then he said the problem is that that God lived for a while, but then suddenly pity killed him. And that's why God was dead. When I think of last week's sermon, I think, thank the Lord that He is a God who shows pity, who shows mercy and grace. And this week, I believe that these eight verses here for the letter Vav in the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew alphabet, will continue to proclaim the mercy of God and will answer the question of those who are seeking to reproach us or to make fun of us. So you want the answer to those who make fun of you? You want the answer to what our world has now loves, cancel culture? You want to be set free from what others think? Well, we have an answer, and I believe that we really see it in these passages. I want to start with verse 42, even though it's the second verse of this section. And it says, So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. The psalmist knows that verse 41 is the answer to those who are speaking evil of him. 
It's not popular to follow the Lord. Just get on Facebook or Twitter and preach the truth of the Word of God and see how long you last before your friends are canceling you or calling you fundamentalists. If you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is proclaimed in God's word, you will be labeled. You will likely, like the friends of Nietzsche who believed in God as alive, be mocked. Your God is dead. He is too piteous. He is too merciful to be alive. Sadly, Nietzsche was very true that in Europe, as a general rule, many had walked away from God, and God was dead to them. God was not really alive because their lives did not line up with his word. Nietzsche was seeing some things truly, but his conclusion was not in line with the word of God. His conclusion was in line with the enlightenment age that he lived in. But our answer to the reproach of men like Nietzsche, or men in our day who proclaim that God is not alive, that God is just a figment of our imagination. Even some very conservative people who maintain that the Scriptures are a myth of God. Well, I don't believe that God is a myth. I don't believe what Nietzsche said. And the reason I don't is because of verse 41. And this is my answer. My answer to those who like to speak evil of Christianity. Who like to say, well, the church has gone astray. So when he says in verse 41, May your loving kindnesses also come to me. This word, loving kindnesses, is also steadfast love. It's translated that way in the ESV. But this is the covenant love of God. This is the Hebrew word hesed. And God uses this term to refer to a love that never ends. This is a love that will stick with you no matter what happens in the world. This is a steadfast love that paints the picture of the Old Testament and the New. It's the love that called Abraham out of a wicked pagan culture, called him to follow after him. It's a love that made a covenant with Abraham, a covenant that God cut walked through the middle of cut, sacrificed animals, saying, I am the guarantee of this promise. This kind of love was the love that told Abraham that in 400 years, his children would be led out of Egypt, his descendants. It's the kind of love that did not forget God's promises in Isaac 
Jacob, and even Joseph when he was in prison. When the baker and the wine were lost, and they thought, there's no hope for us. And Joseph interpreted their dreams, but then what happened? The cupbearer, what did he do? He forgot. Right? He forgot about Joseph until Pharaoh had a dream. And God remembered his promises, and Joseph came up and ended up being the second most powerful man. And God blessed the people of Israel and brought them there to preserve him them because he loved them with this loving kindness. But when Joseph was gone and they had forgotten, they were put into slavery. And that slavery caused them to cry out to this loving God, this merciful, gracious God. And God heard them and He sent Moses. And He saved them. And He brought them out of Egypt in judging the people of Egypt. But God didn't stop there. He continued to bear with His children. He was long-suffering. Not one moment after they had crossed over the Red Sea, they're already complaining, Oh, the leeks and garlics of Egypt. That was so much better there. Oh, do you remember the meat that we ate? Oh, it was just so delicious. We ate it in freedom. What? (laughs) It's funny how quickly the people of Israel would suddenly forget that they were slaves because their life was hard and they thought that getting out of Egypt would be a cakewalk. But God didn't give up. Yes, He judged. They lived 40 years in the desert. But God was faithful, and those who believed Him entered in. Jake, Joshua and Caleb, they entered in. And God gave them the land. He didn't stop that. And because of their unfaithfulness, the people around them began to influence them, and they began to worship other gods. But God was long-suffering. He would bring along godly kings, men to bring them out of their sin, all pointing to one king. God bore with His children for years and years and years and years and years. That's what the whole Old Testament is. If you want to see mercy and grace, read the whole Old Testament and see how unfaithful the people of Israel were, yet God continued to draw them back to Himself, continued to show them love, and continued to warn them. He continued to send prophets to tell them that He was going to judge them if they didn't turn from their sin. And God proceeded all of this in Deuteronomy telling them, if you fail to follow me, eventually my judgment will come. But they failed to listen. And eventually God sent His people into captivity. But it wasn't going to be a long-lasting captivity. Yes, 70 years is a long time. And it was not what the people of Israel wanted to hear. 
They wanted to hear the promises that God was going to bring them back to the land. But God, through Ezekiel, told them, No, you are going to go into captivity for 70 years. And through Jeremiah. And we have that famous verse in Jeremiah where he says to them, I have plans for you. Well, those plans were 70 years of captivity, not a return to immediate living in Egypt or in Canaan again, in the promised land. But God kept that promise, and He brought Nehemiah and and all the, the leaders of Israel back at 70 years. All back. All those promises. And when He came in the form of Christ, This was a fulfillment of promises made to Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that was the final blessing, the final end to that. So when Christ came and died for our sins, we see the fulfillment of God's loving kindness. He didn't stop. And He's continuing to do so in us. We're not Jews here. We are Gentiles who have been called out through Christ to join and be adopted into the family of God. This is because of His loving kindness, not because we had something of value. So I thank the Lord for His loving kindness. I thank the Lord that He is not one who does not pity I know that's a bunch of negatives, but I'm thankful that He shows mercy and grace. We don't deserve it. And how how exactly does God show His loving kindness according to the psalmist here in verse 41? Is it by giving Him all the riches of the world? No, that's not what He asks. How do we experience the loving kindness of the Lord? Well, we see in the second half of verse 41, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. A lot of people don't value this statement very well. They look at the salvation of the Lord as, well, that's just something for heaven. You know, that, that's just... The other side. This is a promise for the future, but it does not affect me today. And when I hear things like that, it really, really bothers me. If I'm honest, it makes me angry. Because it devalues the cross of Christ. It devalues the blood that was shed on the cross. Because it says that salvation doesn't affect this life. And that is a lie. That is a lie completely from the pit of hell. It's because of a view like that that devalues the blood of Christ that we have all these theologies coming out to try to fix problems that the gospel has transformed. You want to see a world transformed? Preach the gospel. I'm not saying we don't Take care of the oppressed. 
But if we are unwilling to preach the gospel, then it doesn't matter how well we care for the oppressed. They will still die in their sin. They'll still die in a state of oppression because the devil is oppressing them whether they have money or not. There is only one way to freedom, and it is in Christ. And if the Lord, in His loving kindness, gives us salvation, it sets us free. It doesn't matter what situation we're in. We're no longer under the power of Satan. We're no longer afraid of what could come. Because we know that God has saved us. And when God transforms us through the power of His Holy Spirit, it is a life change. It is not a one area of your life change. It doesn't just change the spiritual part of you. God made us as, and I'm going to use a word, embodied people. God made us to be whole in every sense of the word. Not to be partitioned, oh, I have my spiritual side over here, my emotional, my mental No, those are all parts, and oh yeah, my physical as well. How we do spiritually actually affects us physically. Think about it. How many people do you know who are constantly speaking negatively about their life? Oh, my life is so hard. All I have is bad. They have Eeyore syndrome. Those of you that know Winnie the Pooh, I've been reading it to the kids. So, But they have Eeyore syndrome. Oh, I can't believe my house didn't blow down and all my friends come and help me build it. No, but there's lots of people in the Christian walk who act like nothing has changed. Let me put it this way. If... Eeyore tried to share the gospel with me, I wouldn't want to hear it because Eeyore acts like he's not saved. No offense to Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh because it's, it's actually a really good story. But if we live in a way in which we're constantly whining and complaining about our life and yet we say, oh, Jesus changed me, it's like, you're worse than the world. At least people in the world have joy over something, but here you're running around acting like your life is going to end. It's interesting how when we ignore what Scripture says, our life is ordered by the world around us. And our minds are constantly thinking about the things of the world instead of feasting on the things of God. And that's what we see here with the psalmist. He is feasting on the Word. He knows what the Word says about salvation. He understands what salvation is about. Yes, he does not have a full revelation of the Gospel of Christ yet. But he knows that the Lord's salvation is a sign of His loving kindness. Why? Because He knows the Word. He knows that the Word of God has spoken. 
It's the Word that gives him hope because he's seen God's loving kindness. Do you think the psalmist didn't know the history of Israel? No, he knew the history of Israel and he saw God's loving kindness all the way up to him, even in his grandmother. I think it was his grandmother. And his great-great-grandmother. Right, we have Rahab in the line of David. Right, Rahab the harlot who was a harlot in Jericho. And yet she married into the line of David. And then you have Ruth, a Moabitess, being brought into the family of Judah, marrying Boaz. I can't think of greater examples of God's mercy. These two women, and even before that, we have Tamar and Judah from the line that goes into David. The line leading to Christ is full of mercy and grace. Multiple times, even, think about it, Bathsheba and David. Here their relationship started in sin, yet God redeemed their walk with Him, and through their son Solomon came the line to Christ. Even through their sin, God showed mercy. God even allowed all these situations to happen so that His plan would come to pass. David knew the story. David had seen God's mercy in his own life. He had seen God's salvation many a time when he should have been killed. God delivered him or warned him that Saul was coming or gave him discernment that, hey, the people in this town, they're going to give you up. So you need to get out of town. Do we believe that God's loving kindness is what it is? Or are we convinced that His salvation is just a future event? I was reading a couple weeks ago, finished a book about a man who grew up in a broken home. Very... His father was an alcoholic. His mother was, was also, grew up in New Zealand. And at one point, he failed school. And as he's leaving, the school teacher said, you're a waste of oxygen. That's what he said. Pretty, uh, pretty hard saying to, be, to feel. And so this man, Paul Hathaway, he got a one-way ticket to Australia. He said, there's nothing here for me. He goes to Australia, and the Lord transforms him, brings the gospel to him, and he is transformed, and his life is transformed. And this waste of oxygen has been used by the Lord to bring millions, literally millions of Bibles into China and in Asia. 
He's written one of the most powerful books I've ever read outside of the Bible about a pastor in China called Brother Yuan. He's written many other books as well. But this waste of oxygen that couldn't focus on anything before Christ was transformed not only spiritually, but God did a work on his mind and his body and transformed him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the transformational power of God. It is not these other things. Yes, we should do justly and love mercy. God judged His people because they were oppressing people. Yes, as Christians, we should not be oppressors. We should not be those who treat others in that way. But if we want to see change in our world, in our community, in in anything that we do, it is in the name of Jesus Christ. It is not through some new theology that tries to focus on a problem that the world has. And I'm going to name two, only because they're fresh on my mind. One is called liberation theology. It's built on a framework of Marxist thought which that should be a warning. But this Catholic priest who went to Europe developed this theology as he began to dive into Marxism. Marxism in that time is very popular. And then he brought it back to Latin America. He was, he was from Latin America. And he began to put this theology out as a Latin American theology. Unfortunately, that theology was conceived in Europe and it just gave birth in Latin America. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't as though that theology originated there. But this theology embraced this idea of oppressors and power and all these things that we see in our world today actually being pushed. And actually it, it's very similar to critical race theory for those who know what that is. And I'm only bringing it to light because this theory ignores the fact that God is the one who liberates. It doesn't matter how physically liberated you are, you will still be a, a slave to sin if God does not transform your heart. And this theology is all about cha- making social change in the nation re- without realizing that if the gospel of Jesus Christ does not transform heart, it doesn't matter what you do. You may liberate the oppressors, but guess what? They will turn in, be liberated from oppressors, but the ones who've been oppressed will become oppressors. Why? Because sin is still there. I was listening to a video of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor in England, yesterday, and he was talking about why he doesn't deal with political issues and a lot of the social issues that are going on. Like, why don't you address all these things? And he said something that I thought was very 
insightful and true, and this is kind of where a lot of what I'm sharing today is drawn out of. He said, if we don't have a true understanding of the gospel, it doesn't matter what we say about the political and social issues. He said, the gospel, when preached faithfully, will transform lives. But when you preach politics and on social issues, that doesn't change anyone's mind. You just make people who, who want to say those things, but there's no basis. He said, when the gospel is preached fully, and we're not ignoring parts of it, then we have a, a plan to overcome the world. So the answer to the mockers, to those who seek to make fun of Christianity, it's not in being kind. We can't build a society on kindness alone. Not that we don't show kindness. But why show kindness if there's no God? Why show kindness? What's the purpose of that? If there's no meaning to life. Our lives must be founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we realize that salvation doesn't just affect the eternal state of our souls, but our current state of living, that will make us more like Tigger than Eeyore. Those of you that like Winnie the Pooh, Tigger is one of those guys that is so joyously bouncy that it actually annoys people like Eeyore. <laughs> right? He bounces everywhere. He's an exuberant personality. Not saying that you're suddenly going to become an exuberant personality, but though people may get annoyed at Tigger, they all love him because they realize this guy... He's not upset about anything. Life is just exciting. And I hadn't planned on using Winnie the Pooh as an illustration, but I, as I was up here, I thought, well, this is actually a really good picture. But as Christians, no one wants to hear from a Christian who is not joyful about what God has done in their lives. You say to me, I trust the word of the Lord. I know the word of the Lord. Okay. Is God's salvation life-changing for you? Is it truly life-changing? Because if so, verse 43 will be the cry of your heart. What did he say? He says, do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. David has been so transformed by the loving kindness of God in his salvation that all he wants to do is talk about the Word of God. This isn't just about a mental thing. He's not saying, don't take the Word of truth out of my mind. He's saying, don't take it out of my mouth. I want your Word to not only dwell in me, I want it to be flowing out of me. 
like a river of living water. The result of salvation is a desire to share that with others. And if we think the gospel is just a future thing, it just affects our relationship to heaven, then no wonder a lot of Christians aren't sharing about it. actually confronted someone who was pushing liberation theology. And I asked the question, I said, Do, does the gospel not affect this, this issue? Doesn't the gospel address these problems? Does this not take away from the gospel? And, and he looked at, he, he replied, he said, well, that's, that's heaven stuff. You're talking about future stuff. And I'm like, what? No wonder he, he believes that liberation theology has value. He doesn't have an understanding of the gospel. He doesn't realize the total life-changing impact that the gospel has on his life. If I didn't believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms my life, I, would care, I wouldn't be up here. It would be useless. If, I, if I'm just adding Jesus to my life so that I have a get-out-of-hell-free card at the end... That's not the gospel. That's, that's just using the Bible as a moral code and hoping that that's going to work for you in the end. But the gospel of Jesus Christ affects us in every aspect of our lives. Mentally, emotionally, physically, and most of all spiritually. It starts there. It starts spiritually. Because we are dead spiritually until Christ comes through the Holy Spirit, and opens our minds so we can understand. But as His Spirit begins to work in us, our minds are transformed. Romans chapter 12. Our emotions are transformed. We begin to put our emotions into under the control of the Lord. And instead of letting our emotions rule our lives, our emotions begin to be ordered by the Lord. And then our bodies are transformed. Not to be legalistic, but even the way that we cover our bodies transforms because we begin to realize that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that every person is going to dress identical like the Amish, but that we cover our bodies in such a way so as to honor and glorify God because we are His representation on this earth. And it spreads to physical well-being, not just dress. And that, that transformational power of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation that it comes through the loving kindness of God, cannot be held silent. That was the interesting thing about the, the story. Well, we, we've all heard stories of radical transformation. People who have come out of drugs and alcohol and and all these things, and it's very similar with Paul Hathaway, though he was not an alcoholic like his dad because he hated that. He was transformed, and when the gospel became real to him, he just had to share it with everyone. 
He couldn't be kept silent. Do we cry as the psalmist does? Don't take the word of truth out of our mouths. Is that our cry? Is there even word of truth there? Or, or what is it that we're speaking? Are we speaking Eeyore truths? Are we speaking about the realities of our world in such a negative way that there could be no hope for us? Are we speaking the truth of God's Word, realizing, yes, we're not ignoring what's going on in our world, we're not ignoring what's going on in our lives or with our bodies, but we are going to speak the Word of truth. We're going to rely on God's Word. We're going to wait for the ordinances of the Lord. That's what it says here at the end of verse 43. Because when we wait on His ordinances, when salvation has transformed our hearts, and we no longer are concerned about the reproach that's being brought on us, because we answer, I know Jesus and look at my life. I've been transformed. I know that's a hard thing to say. Look at me and see what Christ has done in my life because suddenly the devil is going to start attacking, right? He wants to prove to the world that your life is miserable, just like he did with Job. Right? Job was following the Lord wholly. W-H-O-L-L-Y. And Satan came and said, See, the only reason Job is following you is because you're protecting him from me. If you took away his protection, he would curse me, curse you and die. And what does God do? He says, okay, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. Now, that may sound very archaic. Like, how, what, God, why would you allow that? Because this is about God's glory. It's not about that he doesn't love Job. But Job needs to realize that God is to be glorified no matter what happens. So God allows it and he loses his children. All that he possesses, even his health is gone. But what does Job do? He refuses to curse God. Even when his wife, interestingly, the devil let her live. (laughs) No offense to wives, but... And she came to him, just curse God and die, Job. It's just better, just get it over with. But Job had determined to make the word of God his life. And though he realized in the end that he was trying to argue for himself and protect himself, that he thought he knew a lot. In the end, God said, were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I held the waters of the earth in the palm of my hand? Were you there when... And then he just named everything he did. And and Job is like, oh, wretched man that I am. Who who am I to, to speak like this? And God transforms his life. 
And he ends with more children than he had before. Double of everything or, or more of everything that God had taken away. And the story of Job proves God's faithfulness. God is to be worshipped no matter what happens. And so when our life says that God is to be worshipped because we believe the truth of His Word, then we wait on His ordinances. In verse 44, we will keep His law continually. And we realize, if you go back to the hay verses that we did last week, that we keep His law continually because God is with us, because He is empowering us to overcome sin. And we're able to do so forever and ever. When God has transformed our hearts and shown us His loving kindness in Christ on the cross, dying for our sin, taking our, pay, our price upon Himself, we live in light of that. Not to earn our salvation, but as a result of His saving work in our hearts. And guess what? Verse 45, You're no longer under oppression, for I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. You want freedom? You want liberation? Don't go to liberation theology. It has no end. I actually asked this scholar, I asked him, I said, so what's the, what's the end goal of liberation theology? He's like, well, we actually don't believe that we'll actually see this was like, what? <laughs> he said, I, I, we actually don't think that we can actually get a tangible result, but we just want to make, bring to light the problem of oppression. It was like, what's the point of theology that doesn't transform a life? That doesn't transform our hearts and our souls? Because the theology that comes from God's Word will transform our lives, will lead to liberation from the devil, and will deliver us from his kingdom. The salvation of the Lord will not only bring liberation, but it will bring joy. It will bring peace. But as long as we seek liberation elsewhere, other than in the Word of God, and in Him, we won't see liberty, we won't see peace, and we won't see joy. Because it's as the psalmist is seeking the precepts of the Lord that he walks at liberty. What? Liberty to serve the Lord. Liberty to be His child. Liberty to be His servant even. And because God's Word has not been taken out of, taken out of His mouth, what happens in verse 46? It says, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and I will not be ashamed. You know who this reminds me of? Paul. The Apostle Paul, right? He was not ashamed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he even put himself in a position where he would be taken. 
He didn't have to appeal to Caesar, but he appealed to Caesar because he wanted to share the gospel with Caesar. And he knew that God would allow him, in appealing to Caesar, to share the gospel with men in leadership. And Paul preached the gospel to kings and governors and rulers. Why? Because he knew the word of God. He knew his salvation. He knew the Lord. And because he had a relationship with Jesus Christ, he wanted to share the gospel with him. And he was not ashamed when they mocked him because he knew the word. He knew what salvation was. He knew who he was before Christ. And he knew what God had done in his life. And he had experienced the liberty of walking in the precepts of God. So what is it that makes the salvation of the Lord so beautiful to us? What does it bring to us? It brings love. Verse 47 and verse 48 speak of this love. When the salvation of the Lord transforms our hearts, we delight in His commands. Why? Because we love them. Because we love Him. And then verse 48, And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. We don't do these things because we have to do them. We do them because we love them. We love Him, the Creator, the Giver of all His commands. It's easy to slip into legalism when God's Word moves from a delight and a love to a have to and a requirement. Not that we aren't called to do these things, right? They're commandments. But the psalmist loved the Lord so much that he delighted in all that God had to say. Delighted in what God said to do. And it was love that propelled him to walk in liberty from sin, to overcome the devil, and to keep his law. When we experience the salvation of the Lord, when we experience his loving kindness, it will transform our love for his word and for his commands. Because we will no longer just do it because, well, that we realize that that was wrong. Great, that's great. We realize it's wrong and we want to not do or do what God has said because we delight and love Him. And we make His Word a meditation of our heart. There's so much meditating going on now. You have Eastern meditation, which is not meditation on anything. It's actually an attempt to empty your mind of all that's in there. Sounds like you're sweeping your mind and making space for a spirit. God calls His people to meditate on Him and His Word. Not on statistics of 
your favorite baseball team or football team or not that those things are necessarily necessarily evil but what is it that we meditate on when we're driving even when we're walking when we wake up in the morning when we go to sleep what is it that we think about first and foremost So easy to let the cares of this world to overcome the love that God has poured out on the cross for us. But when we have that relationship with Him, it doesn't matter who reproaches us, who makes fun of us, who puts us down, who cancels us. We continue to remember the loving kindness of the Lord. I can think of that. So many times in my life when I, I think, Lord, why did you continue to work in my heart? When I was in bondage to sin, when I was disobeying your commands, when I allowed addiction to different things to keep me from you, why? Because he loved me, because I didn't deserve it, but because he loved me. Because he cares for me and he wants me to make it he doesn't leave us alone god is not a theistic god who just disappears puts the the world into motion and just is up there like a heavenly you know okay let's see what happens no god is a personal god who yes he's in control of all the world but he is orchestrating the events of our life for a purpose And for the good of those who love Him. Even when those events seem to not be going in the right direction. You want to have hope and peace and victory? And to walk in a life in which that people look at you and say, they're kind of annoying... Because they're joyful in the midst of these circumstances, but this person has something that I need. That even when we speak to those who have power and authority like a king, that we're not ashamed because we know the truth of God and His gospel has transformed our life. I hope we all understand the loving kindness of the Lord. It's not a loving kindness that ends. It's not a love that comes and goes as our world speaks of love. Unfortunately, our world loves to talk about love, but in reality, what is it that they're proclaiming? It's actually lust. Because that love is not a covenant love. That's what Christian marriage is about. It is a covenant love that will not give up on one another. Even when you're hurt, even when your covenant statements seem to be broken, that love does not give up. It makes a commitment to love no matter what. And that's what Christ's love is for us, what the Father has shown to us. May we never forget the gospel and the salvation we have in Christ. That it is 
life transforming. Not just the afterlife, but this life. Let's pray. May, may your word, Lord, be truth and life to us. May we with Peter say, where should we go? There is no one who has the words of life but you. Lord, if we have forgotten the power of your gospel, I pray you would quicken it to us and Lord, give us a, a hunger to get in your word and to have a greater understanding of your gospel, of what Jesus did for us and our sinful nature that was helpless without you. Lord, make the cry of our heart a delight in you and a delight and a love for your word and your commands, Lord. Calls our lives to be one that walks in liberty. Liberty from sin. Liberty from the cares of this world, but trusting in your word. Help us to meditate on you and your word, Lord, that we would delight in the things that you delight in. Change our appetites, O Lord. Give us affections for your things and your life and your loving kindness. Help this truth to transform our daily life in the way we love others, in the way that we speak, in the way that we walk. Give us a fresh anointing of your Spirit that we would with joy go about our day. Pray your blessing on us this day and ask, Lord, that you would give us the strength that we need to overcome the wickedness of this world. We thank you for freeing us from the power of the devil. We ask, Lord, you would be with us. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.